I'm based in China, I'm based in Shanghai. So I already have a lot of portfolio exposure to China because I live and work there. So for me, for my portfolio, if I'm not based in China, I probably would be underweighting my exposure to the Chinese market. But if somebody is not in China, maybe they should have a higher um, share of their assets uh, allocated to China relative to myself. We're still in sort of post-pandemic mode, so we're still you know, in a certain amount of uncertainty. But I think a lot of it hinges, I think that likelihood will increase further over the next coming weeks and months when we see more public announcements from the Chinese government, obviously when it comes to perhaps front-loading spending and reacting if there is pressures on the, the, the healthcare sector as a result of the, the opening up and more expansionary measures, greater fiscal deficit, all eyes are on, on that macroeconomic policy. To strike something in the middle between a risk and a risk aversion, so the high-tech with more stabilized technology could be one. And more specifically, I think the pharmaceutical industry could also be something that is very promising now that the big infection is over, but then people will go more for rehabilitation. So they continue to buy more of the Chinese medicine, you know, for preventive purposes to enhance the immunity system and also for the gym. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tu Ying. Joining our discussion on the outlook of China's stock market are Dr. Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics, Mike Bastin, China Observer and Senior Lecturer at the University of Southampton, and Dr. Ela Vellard, Assistant Professor of Practice in Economics, New York University, Shanghai. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. So let me start with um, Elav. You're now in Shanghai, uh, China's financial capital, where the Shanghai Stock Exchange is located. So I suppose you're, you're following China's financial market very closely. And um, how's the vibe on the market um, these days? Not that bad, right? Yes, uh, so interestingly, I'm actually taking this call from closer to Hong Kong uh, because I'm currently in uh, Hainan Island, but oh, so, right. yeah, my home base is in okay. Shanghai, uh, but not for research purposes, just for holiday. Uh, yeah, I think the, uh, I think as you say, the vibe, um, the investor sentiment is one of affects stock market uh, prices, of course, besides uh, fundamentals. And uh, there have been a lot of changes uh, recently in uh, the domestic Chinese economy. And as um, as we've seen with the domestic and the international financial press uh, suggesting that a lot of uh, investors are hopeful, but still very uncertain and guarded about the future prospect of the Chinese uh, equity markets. And I bet uh, the market volatility is probably as hot as uh, the weather in Hainan, is it? Um, yes, um, but I think so. I think uh, the, the question is also interesting because uh, I mean I'm a foreigner in China, and I think if we talk about uh, the Chinese stock market and the equities, we in in research we talk about home bias, which is we look at the total stock market in the uh, world and then see if investors are allocating their money according mm. to the size of for example, US uh, equity or Chinese uh, equity markets. The home bias is very strong in many markets. So like US uh, stock market is the biggest. It's like uh, 60% of all 
uh, the world's uh, stock uh, valuations are in the United States, and four percent, around three, three percent, three point six percent is uh, China, but a lot of people have not yet uh, exposure to the the Chinese uh, stock market. So in that sense, the prospectus long term is good, uh, but of course, short term there might be a lot of uh, ups and downs and hiccups along the way. Mm, maybe that's exactly the reason why major some major global financial institutions are calling a buy on China-related stocks or assets.、Um, we've seen U.S.、Um, investment banks、uh, like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are all upbeat about about Chinese、um, stocks, and Morgan Stanley even predicted China would top global equity market performance this year. Actually, it also for. The second time in a month, raised its、um, end 2023 targets for the MSCI China Index, which tracks some 700 companies listed at home and abroad, with a combined market valuation of two trillion U.S. dollars, and raised its、uh, projection for China's GDP growth. And Bacheng, are they、yes. over optimistic? Well, I think they have a reason to be optimistic because uh, uh, you know the、uh, Chinese financial market. Is、uh, correlating with two main factors. One is the、uh, Chinese、uh, macroeconomic policy, and the other is uh, the uh, PMI, the productive activities that is going on. So you know,、uh, with the uh, Chinese uh, policies on two fronts, one is that、uh, China has completely abandoned the、uh, COVID restrictions, so travel becomes、uh, fully liberalized. So therefore, that gives、uh, quite a More of the confidence for international investors to get more connected、uh, for due diligence and hence decision making, and the other is that、uh, I think we had the worst performance of the past one decade for、uh, 2022. So situation will be there to rebound this year. Investors in, they invest into phases. So、uh, the phase of、uh, a rapid surge in the Chinese economic performance、uh, is something that they can't really miss out. So the rising confidence in this year's economic performance will definitely boost their risk appetite. Therefore, they are really gathering、uh, pace、uh, for the coming opportunities that may unfold. On the other hand, we can also see that、uh, during the last months, the Production capacity is not really giving a very rosy picture, you know, at least for the short run. So the, it is uh, uh, the PMI is still in a uh, contraction uh, stage. So hopefully,、uh, when they gather the strength, and by the second quarter of this year,、uh, there can be quite much of the economic rebound, and so that they are able to gather the strength, gather the resource for a capture. Of new opportunities,、mm, Mike, do you share a similar observation? I mean,、um, those、um, financial institutions—they、uh, had some、um, expectations for the Chinese market earlier last year, but they eventually got some disappointing results, as、uh, Bao Zhong just mentioned. The outcome was not that good last year. That's right. No, I, I do. I share the, the, the comments from the, the two panelists broadly. 
there is a degree of optimism out there. I think Morgan Stanley reflecting that and others. It's largely based around the the, the move away from zero code po- policy to opening up of the economy. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. I think we need to be cautious. Um, as we saw last year, there were there's a sort of false dawn almost where the, the Chinese government has managed the, the pandemic very, very well and come out of recovery far faster than other major economies. But perhaps the, the performance indicators weren't as high and weren't as promising as they could have been. So I think sluggish sluggish growth and a sluggish rebound for the first quarter of this year. Uh, and then we'll see if we do see real um, potential in the figures that uh, Morgan Stanley and others are predicting. And uh, actually, Morgan Stanley also said uh, it believed the market is underappreciating the far-reaching ramifications of uh, China's reopening and the possibility a robust cyclical recovery can occur despite lingering structural headwinds. How can we understand that? I think one thing goes back to the, the, the first, I think it was Ilias' comment about how different that, that gap is between Chinese investors or investors in the Chinese stock market and, for example, the US. So there's huge potential here. And I think what Morgan Stanley are getting at is that the potential hasn't really been realized yet by international investors, and for several reasons. One of them is perhaps uh, regulation and, and structural issues and perhaps a lack of confidence uh, to really invest in China and the Chinese stock market. And I think the Chinese government have done a lot to alleviate that, that those concerns. And also they will do more. So I think what Morgan Stanley are pointing to is, is, is wholesale deregulation, um, transparency, and making the Chinese stock market, Chinese financial services generally, far more open. And they've been heading that way for a long time. And I think that's what they're seeing. And there'll be a real rush into the Chinese stock market from the international investment community. I think that's what they're getting at. So the Chinese government will really um, make great progress in the next few months and year, and the Chinese economy will benefit. And um, when Morgan Stanley has high hopes for uh, the Chinese market or China-related stocks, it also warned that U.S. stocks could slump another uh, 22% if the country goes into recession this year. And um, former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev has predicted uh, the transfer of all major stock markets and financial activity from the U.S. and Europe to Asia. Um, about you, you know, see that happening already or... Is it just some um, elusive or vague prediction? Well, I think it's uh, more of exaggeration for uh, Morgan Stanley. And yes, the rising interest will really hurt liquidity, but that's really made rational in curbing the rising inflation. And uh, we already see that uh, it is uh, taking a positive uh, impact on the U.S. economy. And uh, at most, by the end of the second quarter, the interest rate hike uh, will be uh, there to be deceased. So therefore, uh, hopefully, economy uh, will back to normal while inflation is still high, but uh, you know within the range of uh, tolerance, uh, six or six point five, uh, that is really tolerable. So of course, you know their target is uh, still bring the inflation down to two uh, to two percent, but that takes a longer period of time. I do not think the Fed can go in such a dramatic cycle to really to squeeze the stock market. Well, as for the Russian prediction, uh, I think it's totally illusory. That's not really hold any ground. So uh, yes, Asian is really stable with peace and also with uh, uh, the drive for further uh, development through regional economic integration. 
and uh, it's going to uh, continue to serve as a local a locomotive for global economic recovery. Uh, Europe is uh, uh, going to recover, you know, on a very slow pace, though, because uh, now that they have uh, completely almost uh, reduced the dependence of our Russian energy supply, and but of course they paid a huge price on it, and they continue to pay a higher price on it. But uh, the sentiment is now back to normal, and confidence is uh, beginning to gather. So more of the European investors uh, will uh, come to back to normal on their own continent. But they, uh, in the same time, yes, they also look at Asia and particularly China for uh, new growth uh, opportunities. So the world will not be there to tumble as dramatic as people have uh, expected. And uh, uh, Mike, you are now in London, uh, in Europe, uh, even the world's most important financial center. What's the likelihood of uh, investors considering uh, the Chinese equity market as uh, uh, the top alternative? I mean, investors in Europe or other Western countries. I think the likelihood is very, very high, and I think it has been very high for a long time. I think investors in London, as you see, still one of the major financial centers in the world, have been looking at the Chinese stock market and obviously investing longer term. And more seriously in, in the Chinese economy for a long time, and I think they're they're ready to make that crossing, if you like, to cross that bridge. Brexit has played a part in that, I think. So it, it's making it's almost forcing London to to have relate London stock exchanges to have stronger relations with stock exchanges outside Europe and investors to do the same. So I think the likelihood uh, is very high, and the contacts I have are very very confident. Obviously, we're still in sort of post pandemic mode, so we're still you know, there's a lot of or certain a certain amount of uncertainty. But I think a lot of it hinges. I think that likelihood will increase further over the next coming weeks and months when we see. Uh, more public announcements from the Chinese government, obviously, when it comes to perhaps front-loading spending and reacting if there is a um, pressures on the, the the healthcare se sector as a result of uh, the opening up and the, the move away from zero COVID policy and more expansionary measures, uh, a greater fiscal deficit. I, I think that all eyes are on on that macroeconomic policy that I think we'll see favorable results. I think towards the end, so probably this time next year, we'll be reflecting on a very very healthy. Uh, situation from probably June onwards this year. So London really is looking at uh, Shanghai most definitely and looking long term. I think that's the most important serious investment over the long term, not just a quick kill and a short term profit, which as we all know is not sustainable. Yeah, uh, obviously you have to have a long term view, but um, in, in the short term or just over the next year, this question I want to ask all of you, um, maybe Ila first. Um, you've mentioned that this um, investment on China's equities mainly referred to uh, those home buyers, but uh, provided with no no access uh, restrictions, and that you got a million dollars to invest. How would you diversify your portfolio? How much would you invest in China assets? Yeah, so um, I think the I'm not a qualified uh, financial uh, planner, so I would have to uh, state it up front. Um, I think from my perspective, also as an economist, uh, what I hope uh, we can bring to the table is, um, I think also mentioned by the other two panelists, like in the in the short term, for example, when in my own research, uh, when you see interest rises in the United States uh, due to inflation and, for example, Europe, when there's a monetary policy shock, like a surprise that suddenly interest rates rise, you can ask, where do investors pull their money out from, from other countries to, for example, go to the United States, to the country where they have high interest rates that gives the investors higher returns? And in my research, I found that I feel like the developed 
markets, that is Europe and uh, Japan and the United States, are treated as substitutes. So people, are, uh, the investors are switching, portfolio managers are switching between developed markets when interest rate differentials open up and they are distinguishing apples from oranges so that in that sense when they're looking at emerging markets or frontier markets like uh, china uh, the interest rate might be higher but they are not necessarily only taking the interest uh, rate into account but also a lot of other factors so i would say china versus us or china versus europe i think it's like a false dichotomy or comparison because uh, the market is a completely different um, kettle of fish or kettle of uh, uh, category. Yeah, I understand that there are a lot of factors uh, to take into account when you make any investment decisions. But um, just um, use your like instinct as an economics uh, professor. How, how would you allocate? Okay, so, okay, so um, if I get, if I, I think it's good. Thank you for kind of uh, pushing and pursuing this question. For me personally, and I think this is unfortunately ignored by a lot of financial planners is probably one of your biggest assets that you as a person have, and if we're talking to retail investors, is your human capital. That is the money that you earn with your skills, your knowledge, and your network. I'm based in China. I'm based in China. I'm based in Shanghai. So I already have a lot of portfolio exposure to China because I live and work there. So for me, for my portfolio, if I'm not based in China, I probably would be underweighting my if you like, exposure to the Chinese market. But if somebody is not in China, uh, maybe they should have a higher um, share of their assets uh, allocated to China relative to myself. Right. That, that's a wise answer. Um, Mike, what's your response to that? I think with the, with, with the professor's background, I think I'll have to, I'll have to concur. I, I think what we'll see from... Western investors in China, I think, and I think we're seeing this more and more, is much, much more determination. I said it before to to invest long term. I think there's there's a real understanding now that China, as the uh, the panelists just said, China is has, and hasn't been for a long time. Is no longer this low cost, sort of low wage, perhaps slightly lower quality production base. It's high quality, high premium branding, and it's a it's an area where consumption is king. And that Chinese consumer, particularly younger consumer, is very, very consuming. So I think the investment opportunities are huge. What I would say to to the Western investors, particularly those in London, is you need to work very, very closely long term with Chinese partners. And I think that's something that perhaps hasn't happened as much as it, it should have when it comes to investments and financial services generally and, and other other sectors in other brands as well. So I think that partnership, that sort of co-branding relationship is the way forward. And that's what I tell investors in London and companies in other sectors, typically fashion as well, that you've really got to work with these partners who are producing very, very high quality products and, and financial services. So I think partnership is the way forward with, with the Chinese uh, financial services sector. Okay, I still don't get uh, this um, any numbers on that or allocation of uh, of your uh, money. But uh, Bao Chen, would you come up with a different oh, okay. answer? Okay, so if you wanted that, I, have, I, I can give you that. <laughs> I, I've what I've, I've invested in the in the past. I've invested. I'm not going to give you numbers, but let's just say significant investment in the Chinese economy through various methods. In in fact, I, I've invested pretty much everything going back many, many years. I have with, with huge confidence and I've been very fortunate. Not fortunate, but but it, uh, I'm very pleased with, with the outcome. And I'm very pleased that I've contributed to the Chinese economy and the further integration with the world economy. In terms of now, in terms of my investment allocation, I would go 70, 80% China. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. 
You're listening to the Chat Lounge, and we are talking about the outlook of China's equity market.、Uh, Bao Chun, would you come up with、uh, any different answer? Well, had I got the money, I would rather donate to、uh, to the primary school I constantly take care.、Uh, <laughs> you have the money. Yeah, I I maintain the earning power. Yeah, so as a business professor, I wouldn't give this advice to、uh, any other investors in this way. But one、uh, is that、uh, investors will have to look at the level of、uh, security that they are looking for. Of course. And uh, yes, uh, the uh, for security investment, I think they need really to go to have the right type of due diligence over、uh, certain pro-、uh, projects that can really hold promise. And、uh, if you really want to save some trouble, you know, go for those、uh, the trusted、uh, brokerages, which has a track record of、uh, good reputation and good decision, and that really makes a lot of sense. And also for、uh, the stock, I do not really give advice to individuals who play on the stock because,、uh, by calculation, only five percent can really win out for individual investors over the stock exchanges. So、uh, therefore,、uh, if they really wanted to address the stock, they really need to、uh, work together with、uh, institutional investors who can re-、uh, really arrange a more rational portfolio. So I think that's uh, uh, that could be the advice. And that's、uh, an answer by the textbook. But、uh, if you cannot give specific、uh, advice, probably you can tell us、uh, what kind of、um, sectors on China's onshore market、uh, could be lucrative or attractive to investors. If you are a big risk、uh, taker, you know those frontier technology innovation could be the one. There are a number of projects that line up uh, uh, with our business school to seek advice and to seek、uh, you know clue for investment, like you know the、uh, new energy cars and uh, with uh, the hydrogen or with nuclear fusion breakthroughs, and that really requires a lot more money. So therefore, you have to make sure that、uh, you know there's going to be a further attraction for a bigger pool of the money. So a single-handed investment can be rather risky,、uh, although the the promise can be、uh, very big. And、uh, to really to play on the safe side, the real economy,、uh, the、uh, manufacture of garments, the manufacture of TVs are still、uh, rather stable. Elect-、uh, other type of electronics. And to、uh, really to to strike something in the middle between、uh, risk and risk aversion, and so the high tech、uh, with more stabilized technology could be one. And more specifically, I think the pharmaceutical industry could also be、uh, something that is very promising now that the、uh, big infection is over. But then people will go more for rehabilitation, so they、uh, they continue to buy more of the Chinese medicine. You know, for preventive purposes to enhance the immunity system, and also for the gym program.、Uh, you know, people are there. You know, after three years of lying down, uh, laying, uh, lying lazy, they need to go for their bodybuilding. So I think these are really the promising sectors that、uh, can really、uh, be more visible and more、uh, at hand. Uh, you mentioned、uh, manufacturing of garments、uh, could be one sector for good、uh, return, but、um, I learned from somewhere policymakers or the、uh, securities regulators they may favor some other high-end manufacturing instead of、uh, the traditional textile industry or a low-end manufacturing, if you will.、Um, that, that is very true. Yeah, because if we read the statistics for last three years, the necessity related. Has the highest promise and has the surest return over、uh, the IPO companies. 
So, you know, those are really the food, garments, the uh, electronics, and the medicine. So uh, this is really more of a risk aversion. Of course, for policymakers, they look at the overall for high quality growth. They look at, uh, they expect there's going to be, you know, a huge pool of money to be uh, built around the breakthrough technologies. But, uh, you know, the breakthrough technologies for individual investors, it can be rather risky. And uh, you see a huge shining mountain, uh, a gold mountain over there, but you may really die halfway on the road. And uh, Elof, do you have any special sectors in, in mind that um, you would think um, may have a good uh, return on investment, apart from what Bao Chung just mentioned? Yes, uh, I like the um, analogy of the gold shining mountain. I think as uh, Bao Chung was mentioning that there's certain sectors like the necessities that give you maybe more stable uh, returns. But I think if the question is about which sectors will receive government support, I would say those sectors that actually do not do not have this um, safe return. So if I link it to the bigger question, there has been, you know, in the past 10 years, uh, is the question about Chinese economy being balanced or unbalanced? And then which sectors would profit from the rebalancing into consumer-driven economic growth? And this is, I would say, to a large extent, actually, the discussion in the West. Uh, maybe Dr. Mike can speak more to this uh, in a second. But um, I would say if we look at the policy uh, of uh, the Chinese regulators in the in the past, it would be a huge break with the past uh, if they would favor low-end manufacturing in the future or consumption. So I don't I don't think it is highly likely to see these type of sectors to have government support because they actually, frankly, do not need it because they have the market demand. And which sectors do you see uh, will draw government support? We've already had this uh, property sector and uh, tech sectors. Uh, there are some uh, policy changes there, right? Uh, yes. So I think some of them that uh, Bao has mentioned, uh, pharmaceuticals, electronic vehicles, I would say also you've seen, for example, I'm in Shanghai and the, uh, there are several uh, five or three-year plans that have explicitly stated that the digital economy and uh, the virtual economy, the metaverse, virtual uh, reality, uh, artificial intelligence, this is explicitly included in both the national plans as well as the municipal plans. These are sectors that I'm more familiar with, and um, I can speak to uh, to those. Sure. And Mike, what's your observation there? Well, again, I mean, broad agreement makes a lot of sense with, with the, the sectors that have been discussed. I mean, obviously, in the short term, uh, with the, the, the exit of the, the, or the move from zero COVID, you'd be looking at healthcare, pharmaceuticals, and um, Offline consumption, so, so there'll be more catering, transportation, tourism. The one thing I think I, I need to mention here is that, and I think we'll see more central government support for this, is the creative industries. And I think investment in particular, the, the area that I'm specializing in more and more, and that's fashion and all areas of fashion. What we're seeing in the last few years is a tremendous explosion of creativity, innovation from younger Chinese fashion designers, which is achieving international acclaim more and more. And I think that will really lead the Chinese economy more than any other sector towards this full market status where there's innovation. That innovation will spread across sectors. And I think it's something that has been, it's, I think that there is appreciation out there, but I think it's been overlooked by investors who are looking at perhaps 
traditional industries where pharmaceuticals are always mentioned globally as being a good safe return everybody needs you know healthcare everybody needs transportation and you know going to the gym as professor leo said yeah very very good point so i think the creative and the cultural industries is something that will flourish more and more and and it's not too far away or around the corner that we will see chinese fashion brands start to dominate and rival the major french and italian labels so i would i advise and uh, advise more and more investors to look at that sector in particular where the returns could be spectacular yeah mike is a big fan of a uh, creative industry well i think i, I think it's it's a, it's a symbol of how modern the the, the uh, particular economy is because as we all know innovation and creativity underpins successful business now and now the chinese economy is really being led very much by high technology digital technology and the government's played a huge part in that but i think that creative layer those creative layers are now being added particularly where fashion is concerned and other sectors i think could follow suit so it, it really is quite an exciting time for brand china mm. may i just add something sure um so i think i agree and i think for example if you look at the with the the fashion and i think the gym if you for example look at just uh, movies in terms of the casting of uh, chinese actors or the presence of for example chinese themes or chinese fashion elements or models in the west i would say there's still to come back to the first point i would say there's still a lot of home bias there too in that the significance of uh, the chinese economy the chinese culture chinese creativity is not yet reflected if you like on the world stage or the the western mind broadly and uh, one uh, from going from this uh, from art to to high tech i would say one other if you like investment theme to consider is the deglobalization or decoupling where in china there's a, as well as in other countries there's a lot of uh, sectors that previously would gear toward export oriented manufacturing even high tech and that will be rethought we've seen it with semiconductors we've seen it uh, with for example 5g and these are probably sectors that will receive more support and growth but uh, again the risk is uh, higher uh, but that means also the re- potential reward might also be higher yes indeed actually how how these sectors perform would to a lot of extent depend on how policy support provided by the government uh, been implemented elav you just mentioned some uh, geo mm-hmm. uh, geopolitical challenges mm-hmm. uh, are there any other risks you see in the coming year that may interrupt a smooth recovery if there is any uh i think this is so are we talking about just the chinese economy or the equity markets can i take this question from the from the perspective of investors continuing to recover to invest in china sure uh, or, so if we take somebody else can take the question <laughs> uh, or, let me take the question that all right could be some unpredictable challenges one is of course the resurgence of the pandemic because of you know the indeed uh now we have the delta now the after delta we had the omicron and uh, who knows you know how many variants and xbb etc are are ready to attack again so this is uh, a something that the whole world will have to be stand on guard against the other is the geopolitical confrontation china is always uh, you know are rallying to uh, have uh, national unification across the uh, Taiwan street and that can really be a disturbing force to uh, some of the western countries led by the united states and third is you know, we do not know how the uh, the uh, ukraine crisis is going to end uh, whether russia is going to back off and when is going to end then climate is something still out of control and there has been excessive heat uh, last year 
I think uh, my friend Mike Boston might have uh, noticed more visibly of the situation in England. The extreme weathers can uh, can also really uh, have uh, a uh, unpredictable impact on the agricultural production. On, and third, uh, uh, number four is really the shape, reshaping of global supply chain. Uh, the uh, U.S. is leading the Western allies, trying to contain China with uh, more of the high tech. So the tension is still seeing uh, further escalation with more of the blacklist entity list on the Chinese companies, etc. So these are really the unstable factor. And uh, lastly, it is really the huge debt uh, within those uh, developing countries that can really have a dreading effect on the whole global economy. And China is also one of the big lenders among them. So we have to be very careful over these issues. Mm. Uh, what Bao Zheng just mentioned uh, basically seems to be uh, external factors. Uh, but what about uh, those uh, factors directly related to China's um, policies on the equity market or industry policies? Yeah, I think now, particularly after the uh, most recent economic conference, the supreme priority is placed on beefing up the economy for further recovery. And uh, now it seems that uh, we are on the uh, right track to, uh, number one, is to bring the fraught uh, property sector back on track. Uh, but that's going to be a very slow process because uh, it has been uh, hardly hit due to the previous policy. And uh, uh, the other is, uh, you know, uh, going for high quality growth is easier than said, because when companies uh, are really shifting the gear, they need to scrap old fashioned uh, machine sets. And they uh, more importantly, they need to step up with the right type of skill sets to meet the high quality uh, requirement. That's also a painful process uh, with huge prospect, though. And third is really the government's uh, support for the breakthrough technologies. And, you know, uh, over 500 uh, institutions are researching on the uh, small nano chips. We don't know, you know, when or who is going to be the final winners. But uh, one big opportunity is for investors in particular is that uh, due to the COVID control of the past three years, many businesses have really evaporated on the owner side. So they could really achieve a more favorable bargain to acquire some of the assets and some of the supply chains, for example, hotel chains, restaurant chains, or cinema chains. And that could be some opportunity if you really have the right cash that is badly needed by those owners. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. And uh, another piece of good news for the market, uh, obviously, is, was this uh, Hong Kong and the mainland um, stock connect a scheme, uh, which allows investors uh, greater access to mainland shares while boosting trading liquidity in Hong Kong. Ilav, you're, you're now close to Hong Kong. So to what extent do you expect the expansion to affect the capital market uh, this year? I think as was mentioned by Mike and Dr. Liu about the last year relatively poor performance, I would say it is um, guarded optimism that is in the markets. And um, if you look at 2018, like a few years back, with the inclusion of uh, China A shares in the MSCI index, these uh, reviews for the equity indexes, which exposes uh, the, the Chinese stock market to a lot of global money flowing into China, I would say 
uh, this will likely to continue. So uh, recently, for example, this is, I think, last year, the HKMA, like the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and the um, uh, Hong Kong regulators, they have um, added uh, new investment uh, vehicles for foreign investors, for example, um, exchange-traded funds. There was some interbank uh, market, uh, exchange-traded bond market, uh, new investment vehicles. The RQFII, uh, the, the basically the investors seem for foreign investors to invest in the mainland, have been combined, have been eased. So there's a lot of stuff that is uh, going on. And it's not like you have to take my word for it, if you, because the MSCI uh, is the, if you like, it's a collection of investment banks and investors, pension funds, and they decide whether the reform and opening up of the, the Chinese financial market and the, the Chinese equity market is sufficient to meet the standards of, if you like, prudential duty uh, and investor protection for foreign investors. And it's based on, if you like, votes or the discussion and consultation with uh, financial market participants. And they basically decide by deciding to include the weight of China A shares into the emerging market uh, index and increase it. It was in 2018, it went from 5% to 20%. If it goes from 20% to 100%, the weight of China in the emerging market in index could increase from currently 30% to 40%. To sum up, um, it means that there is a process in place where Chinese regulators are continuing to reform and uh, in consultation with uh, Western investors. And I think given that the COVID uh, policies have been quite uh, structurally changed and now opening up, I think it is likely that also in line with economic stability, increasing in the future, that the deregulation will also continue. But I, I don't think this will happen suddenly in this year. So from a regulatory perspective, I don't think this year that there's not going to be anything special happening. In terms of a cyclical recovery, yes, but not in terms of a structural shift in terms of regulation in the next uh, 12 months. But, but in terms of uh, the amount of, the, mm -hmm. of uh, foreign investment, and I, I got this uh, figure um by the financial services provider uh, China International Capital Corporation. It, mm -hmm. it says uh, this year the annual net capital inflow by QV, which is a qualified uh, foreign mm -hmm. institutional investor, and RQV, which is a renminbi qualified mm -hmm. um, foreign institutional investor, and plus uh, northbound funds uh, into A shares may, may range from um, 100 billion to 300 billion yuan. That's some 15 billion to 45 billion US dollars. Can you give us an idea? How significant is that amount? And what, what yes. does it mean for China's equity market? Yes, I think so. Maybe just uh, uh, one point in this. I think there was um, Chinese origin, like uh, chief economist of the World Bank, and he, had, he has a great uh, quote, uh, which I think applies to this case also. China looks big if one looks at just the numbers, let's say numbers of COVID cases or the billions of flowing capital flowing in, capital flowing out. China looks much smaller if we talk about not absolute numbers, but in terms of percentages. So I think when I also saw, like I was reading, for example, the Financial Times or The Economist, what often is lacking in this financial reporting is how does it compare, for example, to the change last year to the to the Chinese economy or relative to other countries. So I would say these absolute figures uh, need to be put in, into perspective. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what I'm asking you to do because, uh, you know, for us, we don't follow the market mm -hmm. so closely. So probably you can um, help us understand these figures. 
Yes, so I, th uh, I think if you for, if you compare it into in percentage changes and changes year by year, um, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, structurally, uh, if we talk about a span of five years, the foreign percent of ownership of Chinese assets has uh, tripled for bonds. Uh, it has doubled. Uh, yes, last year there was uh, hundreds of billions, and even if maybe even uh, trillions, U.S. dollar uh, in U.S. dollars measured in U.S. dollars that flowed out of China. But I think that is a cyclical, I feel like, uh, withdrawal from China uh, that does not speak so much to the long-term growth prospects. And as I think uh, Mike was mentioning at the beginning, uh, this comes at the backdrop of the Chinese economy having relatively low GDP compared with the huge um, 8%, 10% Chinese GDP numbers in the past. So foreign investors are increasing their exposure to China at a yeah. time when structurally the Chinese economy relative to its own past is lower, but relative to Western countries, the Chinese economy, if it, if it grows as the World Bank predicts, like 5%, 4%, that is, of course, really high compared to developed economies. So in that sense, from a Western, uh, if you like compared with Western economies, the Chinese economy is performing uh, strongly. So in that sense, I would say cyclically, there will be an, uh, an uptick, but structurally, uh, it is highly likely that uh, it will continue. Um, Baojun, I'm not sure if you've been following this uh, QV or RQV uh, investment. What kind of significance do you see the expansion of such uh, investment institutions for the the Chinese equity market? Well, uh, actually, if you read the, the travel line of uh, the uh, performance for equity funds, uh, it has been on a, a very steady rise, uh, even during the difficult years we have uh, just come by. And uh, the daily turnover in the Asia or the onshore market uh, has been increasing by uh, 8% to uh, 1 trillion yuan to, uh, on, on, on daily basis. So this is uh, something that is uh, uh, remarkable. And uh, uh, of course, you know, by the uh, expansion of the dot connect between Hong Kong, Shenzhen and Shanghai is there to provide uh, further opportunities for uh, investors because we used to only have uh, southbound uh, investment. Now we have the also northbound investment, and particularly now when we see that uh, uh, Beijing or, or, or uh, Xinjiang is going to set up another stock market uh, that can uh, also be a sort of attraction. And uh, uh, having said that, the uh, flowing in and out of China, of the equity, uh, has to do with uh, uh, two type of forces. One is really the speculative forces, which is termed as hot money, and they only are there to to look for short-term gains. The other would be the uh, cold money. They can really be uh, flocked over there to uh, get translated into the uh, real economy or real service uh, that is uh, on production. So you know the hot money is still uh, something that is uh, of a worry for regulators. And then from the investor's perspective, they look at uh, uh, number one is the policy direction. Uh, number two is the liquidity, uh, whether there's enough funds that can really be there to match. And uh, then they also look at the productivity, uh, you know, which project or which company can deliver the right type of uh, desired profitability. And third is the governance. So when they really participate in equity positions, either directly or indirectly, do they have the right type of say representing their fair share for protection and uh, to exercise their own voting rights? 
So this is something they are really looking for and how we can really turn the hot money into cold money by you know, having a long-term uh, engagement with the Chinese economic growth. So this is something that, that is there for policymakers to square about. Right, right. Um, actually, all eyes are on uh, the Shanghai, Shenzhen, and uh, Hong Kong market when they talk about uh, China's equity market. But what about the, you know, there's this small player, uh, the Beijing Stock Exchange, uh, which was opened uh, late in 2021, over a year ago. It was uh, designed to find innovative uh, startups. Uh, so, Bao Cheng, you're in, you're in Beijing. What kind of yeah. mark do you expect it to make uh, this year? Well, uh, the Beijing Stock Exchange is uh, there to more similar to Chinex uh, or comparable to Nasdaq. So it is there to attract the smaller individual and institu- uh, institutional investors to invest in the small and medium-sized companies with uh, entrepreneurship or companies that have a very specific project that can hold future promise. So due to the COVID problem, they didn't really flare up uh, very rapidly, but uh, hopefully this year this uh, uh, is going to deliver some of the more of the promises that an uh, investor would look for. And some of the rules and uh, regulations needs to be further consolidated so that uh, they can really bring better predictability for those uh, investors in that regard. And uh, for uh, Beijing, because Beijing is really the hub for innovation and uh, uh, particularly was uh, uh, working closely with those uh, universities and the research institutions, uh, there can be uh, some of the promising projects by this type of innovation that they can uh, investors can really support at early stage. I think a lot of uh, startups are are looking to uh, the Beijing Stock Exchange and ha- have high hopes for it. But a uh, last question to all of you. Um, as we've mentioned earlier, um, the performance of uh, Chinese equity markets f- failed to meet uh, expectations last year. But how likely is that this scenario may happen again this year? And um, how far do you expect the major indexes of the mainland and Hong Kong stock exchange to go this year? And actually, I wanted some, uh, probably some specific uh, numbers. I, I understand it's hard to um, make an accurate estimate within such a short period of time. But uh, would you give us a, a rough estimate with your, you know, probably gut feelings? Uh, let's start with Elaf. I think you ask probably the right person, but not at the right time. I will <laughs> okay. give you uh, the... Uh, when I is the right time? The, um, on the 31st of December this year. So uh, economists are known for predicting the past very accurately. Right, so I understand I, that. But try, try your so, best, please. Um, I would say I would be really hard to struggle to put numbers on it because, yeah, I would say it's uh, it's it, it, yeah it's um, if I would have to, uh, um, I would say probably what uh, what. Well, well, some people I co- actually <laughs> uh, saying that this uh, like a, a Shanghai uh, component index may. Climb up mm-hmm. to uh, the threshold of uh, three thousand five hundred this year, and as we speak, it stands above uh, three thousand one hundred. Are they hoping for too much, or is it something that uh, the market is able to achieve? Uh, I would say maybe, maybe let me put it this way. So I think as a as an economist, uh, I'm not trying to avoid your question. All right. So, but as an economist, um, if you see 
because uh, uh, I'm analyzing, for example, uh, monetary policy of central bankers and often central bankers, the way in which they speak is giving you kind of hints of what they think uh, is likely to go on. I would say the fact that I don't feel confident to give you a really clear prediction probably is the answer in itself, in a sense that my lack of saying it's going to be a range between whatever X to X percent probably means it's not going to be a huge uh, a huge disaster, nor a huge uh, spectacular gold shiny mountain. So I would say probably better than last year. Uh, that is the, the precisest I could uh, tell you in January. We can talk again in December. Sure. Yeah, actually, um, I think that I can understand uh, that Dr. Kim's uh, uh, position. Well, you have uh, widened the tunnel and uh, uh, the canal, and you have also deepened the pond. But uh, whether the water is going to flow in, depending on how much fish they can really grow out of this. Sure. So, <laughs> so the you know, largely it is still the uh, fundamentals that are there uh, at work uh, in the eye of uh, investors. In the first place, the uh, China is now, at least for the next three months, is very firm on interest rate. So therefore, liquidity is not there to be boosted. So therefore, the pond will not be filled with a lot of water. And uh, investors will also see some of the match of the liquidity before they can really uh, invest into a dry pond. That's one consideration. Second is the productivity yield. Uh, now that the PMI is below 40, uh, 50%, uh, last month is uh, 47%, which means the business's confidence uh, have not really recovered yet. So the government, again, is emphasizing on supporting the private sector, but uh, uh, much is really expected for specific policies because there has been a lot more of the sentiment against the private business owners and particularly for those uh, companies who have grown out of the state-owned structure. And now it seems that uh, uh, there has been uh, quite a shift uh, in uh, continually supporting the uh, private sector. And uh, investors are really looking more favorably into the private sectors rather than the state-owned ones. So this uh, really takes quite a while to see the deforestation of uh, uh, the private sectors. And third is the China continued to reduce the uh, short list for foreign investment, but uh, whether they are able to pave the right level playing field as expected and also complained of by foreign investors. And this is something that uh, the enabling business environment that are there to uh, give a quite a say for investors' decision into the Chinese market. And lastly, it is the Chinese outflow investment that can also mean quite a lot to the Chinese uh, stock market and also uh, for the investment landscape, because we do see that uh, there's going to be further reallocation of the labor-intensive industries to uh, VNN, to Cambodia, to Myanmar, et cetera. So whether you know, the investment is going to accompany uh, this type of reallocation, uh, that's something that we need to uh, carefully observe. Sure. A quick question. Uh, how big a role could uh, this uh, U.S. Federal Reserve's decision on uh, interest rates uh, play here? Well, interest rate, uh, right now, even though uh, there has been uh, several rounds of interest increase, 
on nominal basis, they cannot even compete with the Chinese type of interest rate. But uh, simply to place money in the bank, that's not really uh, investment per se. That's really for security purposes, for saving purposes. So therefore, investors, real investors, will have to uh, look at business opportunities instead of uh, banking interest rate. So it is still the fundamentals of the production yield and profit yield that's going to make a difference uh, between different economies. Yeah, it's is it predictable? Uh, well, interest rate is more or less predictable, but uh, the predictability of uh, investment, uh, particularly for China, is depending on the policies uh, uh, direction and particularly on the stability of uh, the uh, policies. For example, you know, we used to stamp out the property sector, you know, which contributed to more than 30% of the Chinese GDP, and now it has dwindled to only 13 or even less percentage to the GDP. Now they now they, uh, have a major U-turn trying to bail out some of the uh, property sector, but uh, you know, it's really a stranded boat that requires far more liquidity and five more uh, bank efforts to support. So uh, it's going to be a very slow process. Yeah, I mean, uh, because there are a lot of expectations that the Federal Reserve will change its course to, you know, um, reduce its interest rates in the second half of the year. I don't uh, think so, because, you know, their interest rate uh, has a direct correlation with the uh, inflation rate. So when inflation is still uh, you know, uh, kept at uh, above 6%. I do not think there is a, much of a chance for them to lower it. Uh, unless there is a, a huge miracle in the economic performance, I do not really think there is a high probability for them to lower interest rate. They can really seize the hike, but uh, there's not really much chance to lower it. Right, understand. And lastly, to uh, Mike, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the performance of Chinese equity markets failed to meet expectations last year. So how likely do you think this this scenario may happen again this year? And how far do you expect the major indexes of the, of the mainland and Hong Kong stock exchanges to go this year? It's a very good question. I think it's it's possible we could see a repeat of last year. I think it depends very, very much on the the healthcare situation and the the, the switch from uh, the zero COVID policy to opening up and and how that plays out and how much government spending is needed perhaps to address major healthcare or or pressures on the healthcare system. And I also think it it depends very, very much on the the, the outside world and and how how well those economies perform And, and also on government policy towards further deregulation, uh, fiscal policy and spending, and whether that brings inflationary uh, pressures. Generally, I'm more optimistic than pessimistic. So I think the likelihood of better performance and something that is replicating what Morgan Stanley and others are saying, I think is more likely than not. I think we'll see this more in the second half of the, the calendar year, not so much in the first quarter. So I'm generally quietly optimistic. Right. Thank you. After winter, there comes spring. We'll witness how well China's equity market will fare from here. And with that, we wrap up today's chat. Many thanks to Dr. Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics. Dr. Ela Vellard, Assistant Professor of Practice in Economics, New York University, Shanghai. And Mike Bastin, 
China Observer and Senior Lecturer at the University of Southampton Fair Insights. Please feel free to leave a review or a comment for us, and subscribe to the Chat Lounge wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Tu Yun. Thank you for being with us. See you next week. Thank、you